Good morning again, church. And again, good to see everybody. And there are more of you here to see than the last time I was standing up here a few minutes ago. So it's good to see everybody who's here this morning. Last Lord's Day, we talked about the fact that Jesus, whose teaching we've been looking at over the, over the course of the last several months since the beginning of this calendar year, that Jesus planned his last message to his apostles. That Jesus knew on that night when he entered that upper room to celebrate the Passover with these 12 men who had become his closest associates, his best friends, his, his intimate beloved. He knew that this was going to be the last opportunity that he would have to speak with them prior to his surrendering his life on the cross. And just as everything that he had said over the course of the last three years was significant, that every, every word that he spoke, every teaching that he gave was important, certainly the things that he would say on this night were particularly so because he knew that this would be his last opportunity to share these things face to face with these men whose job it was going to be to carry on his ministry. And so the things that he said that night are not said by accident. They're not said at random. They were not things that he just sort of was tossing things off the top of his head. But certainly these were things that Jesus had thought about, that he had planned, that he had considered carefully. Because that's what you do if you know this is going to be the last opportunity that you have to speak to someone you love. And so Jesus seized that opportunity. And as we talked about last week, go ahead, Nathaniel, and go even to the next slide there. Or I can do that. There we go. Because John, in beginning the account, in the 13th chapter of his gospel, starts the, the, the narrative of the evening by saying that Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to his Father. And having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And as we talked about last week, that presented him with some questions. What what were the things that he wanted to leave with them? What were the words of wisdom that he would share with them that he wanted to resonate with them as they thought back on, on these last hours that they would spend with him? And what would he most want them to remember? What would be the thing that he would want to be as their last picture of him prior to their, their parting. And we saw in the first part of his conversation with them that there were several things he wanted them to know. He wanted them to know that he was going to prepare a place for them. And not only that, that he was the way for them to get to that place. 
He wanted them to know that he had shown them the Father. That if they thought back on the last three years and looked at everything that Jesus had said and done in their presence, they had seen God at work in the person of his Son. And that they could believe that Jesus was the Son of God, not just because he said so, but on the basis of the evidence, they could look at the things that he had done and think about the words that he had spoken and come to no other conclusion based on that evidence other than that he was, in fact, the Son of God. But he also wanted them to know that if they truly loved him, they would do the things that he said for them to do. That they would not just take those words as mere words, but they would take them as the pattern for the rest of their lives and utilize them as the means by which they would conduct themselves from that moment forward. And he also wanted them to know that if they really trusted in him and in the Spirit of God whom he told them that he was going to send to them, that they would have peace amid all of the turmoil that their lives were going to uh, experience from that day forward, if they would simply trust in Him and trust in the Spirit, they would be at peace even amid all of these things. So now we're going to look at the second part of that conversation. And we are going to miss some points as we go along here because to hit every point that Jesus focused on during the course of the evening would take more time than I have. So we're going to just look at some of the, some of the key things that he says in the next two chapters of John's Gospel, the 15th and 16th. And the first thing that he says in this back half of the conversation John records these words. Jesus says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. Jesus began the first half of the conversation by saying, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. And now he applies a new figure to himself. He says, I am the true vine, and my father is the gardener. Now that was a figure that made sense to these men living in the time and place and culture in which they lived because the growing of grapevines was essential to Mediterranean cultures of that day, even, even as it is even now. And so he knew that they understood what a vine was like. 
when he used that figure, he knew that immediately would, would, would set a picture in their mind. They understood what a grapevine was. And they knew what a gardener was, a person who takes care of the vines. And so when he makes his next statement, he knew they would get the, they, that they would get the metaphor. When he says that the gardener cuts off every branch that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. The only value of a grapevine is to grow grapes. Grapevines are not pretty. They don't bear beautiful flowers like a rose bush or other flowering plants might. The leaves are not particularly interesting to look at. The only thing that a grapevine does that is of value is produce grapes. Therefore, if a grapevine doesn't produce grapes, it's a waste of space and resources. So if there's a part of that vine that's not doing what a grapevine is supposed to do, a gardener would cut that off because that branch is not contributing anything to the purpose of the vine. And so when Jesus says, I am the true vine... And my father, the gardener, cuts off the branches that don't bear fruit. He knew that his disciples would understand what that meant. And he also knew that they would understand when he said that the branches that do bear fruit are pruned. That is to say that they are trimmed so that they will be even more fruitful because that's the way that a gardener tends to the vines. If you want them to continue to bear fruit, you can't leave the fruit on to wither and die. You have to cut that fruit off so new fruit will grow eventually. And the vine can be even more fruitful. Jesus is setting up the idea that these men... These 11 men, because we know what happens to number 12. These 11 men would have a purpose. They had a mission, just like the, the branches of a grapevine have a mission. And either one of two things was going to happen. Either they were going to fulfill that mission, that is to say to bear fruit, or they were going to be cut off. Because they were not contributing to the mission. And they would also have to understand that there would be hardship. There would be cutting involved. Even if they were fruitful. Because that hardship, that cutting of the vine, of the branches, would enable them to bear even more fruit. But he also tells them something else that's significant. He says, remain in me as I also remain in you. Because here's the thing. If a, if a branch of the vine gets cut off from the vine, it's impossible now for it to bear fruit. Because it's not connected to the vine. It's not connected 
to the, to the, the life-giving resources that the vine is drawing from the earth and is providing to its branches. A branch that's cut off is dead. And it is good for nothing more to be cast, than to be cast aside. And so Jesus tells them, if you want to bear fruit, you have to remain in me. Because no branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. And we might think, well, why is that such an important thing? And in fact, why is that not obvious? Well, here's the problem with branches. Sometimes branches think they are the vine. Sometimes branches begin to think, I am the important part of the plant. And that it's me that the system should revolve around and not the vine itself. And Jesus wanted them to understand no branch is that important. The branches are important only insofar as they contribute to the mission. It's the vine that matters. And if the branches don't stay connected to the vine, the branches are of no use. They cannot bear fruit unless they remain in the vine. There would be many opportunities for these men, because of their association with Jesus, to be revered. In fact, we know that on at least one occasion, and probably several others. Peter and John found themselves in a place where people want to worship them as gods. And Peter was very quick to say, I am just a man like you. Don't put any importance on me. I'm just a branch. It's the vine that matters. Because Peter remembered these words. And he knew that his value was not of Peter. That his value was of the vine. And Jesus said, I am the true vine. He continues on. I am the vine. You are the branches. If you remain in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. But apart from me, you can do nothing. If you do not remain in me, you are like a branch that is thrown away and withered. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you remain in me, and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory, that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. So if they didn't get it before, they got it now, certainly. The vine matters. The branches are merely extensions of the vine. And only are important insofar as they are connected to the vine. That's the only way the branches can accomplish anything. 
If we lose our connection to the vine, Jesus says we just are like firewood to be cast into the fire and burn. But if we remain in him, there is power in that. Because that's where the power is in the vine. Sometimes these words of Jesus are misconstrued. Sometimes people get the idea that when Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. He means, I am the central vine of quote-unquote Christianity. And you are all the branches. There's a Catholic branch and a Baptist branch and a Presbyterian branch and so forth. That's not what Jesus says. There were no separate organizations in that room when he spoke to those men. He's talking about people here. I am the vine. He says, you, you Peter, you Andrew, you James, you John, and so on. You are the branches. Each of you has the responsibility to bear fruit. You are not part of a collective whose job it is to bear fruit. You, as a branch, have a responsibility to bear fruit. But also, as a branch, if you don't stay connected to the vine, you can't accomplish anything. Because the bearing of fruit by the branch is not to the branch's glory. It's to the Father's glory. The branch, no matter how many grapes it produces, is not to be glorified as a branch. The glory goes to the gardener who grew the vine in the first place. And who made it produce fruit. Jesus wanted these men to know. They had a job to do. And unless they did that job. All of the preparation that he had invested in them would be useless. But they also needed to understand. That the job was not about them. The job is always about the gardener. The job is always about the vine. The branches are only there to produce fruit. Not to be glorified. Not to be self-important. But to be the vessels by which the gardener, through his vine, brings forth fruit. And notice now the application that Jesus makes. He says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Now remain in my love. Remember how we started this figure. I'm the vine. My Father is the gardener. You are the branches. The Father, the gardener, has loved me. I have loved you, the branches. Now you, the branches, are to remain in my love. 
And how do you do that? What's the next thing he says? If you keep my commandments, you will remain in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and remain in his love. As a branch, you remain in the love of the vine by doing the things the vine has commanded you to do. Because that's the only way you can demonstrate your worth as a branch. Jesus says, I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. In other words, I can only have joy in you, Jesus is saying, if you go forth from here and do all of the things I've told you to do. But the flip side of that is that if you do that, your joy will be complete. Your joy will be found in being what a branch is supposed to be. Bearing fruit for the gardener. Being a fruitful part of the vine. And then he tells them again, how do I do that? Here's how. My command is this. Love each other as I have loved you. The greatest power that any branch has to bear fruit is by being a vessel of love for all the other branches. That is the greatest tool that the branch has to bear fruit, is to be a vessel of love for the other branches. In fact, Jesus goes on to amplify that statement. He says, greater love has no one than this. To lay down one's life for one's friends. And of course, we know that in a few hours he's going to demonstrate exactly what that means. By laying down his life on the cross. You know, the, that sentence, greater love has no one than this, that, to lay down one's life for one's friends may be one of the most quoted statements that Jesus ever made. If we think of all of the things that Jesus said in those four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, if we think of all the things Jesus said, one of the most commonly quoted things that Jesus said is, greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for one's friends. But how often do we quote what he says right after that? Notice the next sentence. You are my friends if you do what I command. That word if is always conditional. If I say I'm going to do something if you do this, that necessarily means if you don't do that thing, 
I'm not going to do what I said I would do because you have released me from that obligation. There is an entire segment of legal society called contract law. And that's exactly how contract law works. One party agrees to do something. The other party agrees to do something as well. But the contract only works if both parties do what they said they were going to do. If one party fails to do what they said they were going to do, the other party is released from their obligation. Jesus said, you are my friends if you do what I command. If we want to call ourselves friends of Jesus, we have to do what he commanded. And what did he command? Well, go back one verse. Greater love has no one than this to lay down one's life for one's friends. Jesus is talking there, yes, about his sacrifice on the cross. But that's not all he's talking about. He is talking about our willingness to lay down our lives for one another. That doesn't necessarily mean I have to be nailed to a tree for you, nor you for me. But it does mean that you and I should have a relationship that is self-sacrificial. That is to say that I must be willing to give of myself for you because that's how I show you love a gift that costs the giver nothing is no gift at all a gift only is valuable if it costs something to give it Jesus gave the gift of life by giving his own life that was the cost. That was the price. And in order for us to show love one to another, we have to be willing to give of ourselves. We are rarely, perhaps almost never, called upon to do that literally in the sense that Jesus was about to do. But we are called upon daily to be willing to give of ourselves to each other. Because that's how we show the greater love. And unless we do that, unless we do the thing that Jesus here is commanding us to do, we cannot call ourselves his friends. Jesus next says to these men, I no longer call you servants. Because the servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends for everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. And so that whatever you ask in my name, the father will give you. Jesus implores them 
to understand the nature of their relationship to him. I don't tell you to do things because I have the power to command you as servants. I'm not telling you to show the greater love because I can. I'm telling you that because you are my friend. And I want my friends to do what I'm showing them with my own life that I'm doing. I've chosen you to bear fruit. Not because it does me any great pleasure to order you about. But because I want you to be part of what I am. I want you to be part of what the Father has sent me to do and to be. I have come to be the Savior of the world. I want you to participate in that. I want you to be part of that, he's saying. But here's what you have to do for that to happen. This is my command. Love each other. That's the way that you're going to demonstrate that you are in me and I am in you. That's how you are going to be able to go and bear fruit. By showing love. Love that comes at a price for you. Love that costs you something. Love that is a laying down of your life for others. A giving of yourself. Even as I'm going to give you that example. And one more thing he tells them. He says when the advocate comes, and we talked last week about the advocate, the, the, the spirit of truth that Jesus said that he was going to send them. And he comes back to that theme again. When the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. And you also must testify for you have been with me from the beginning at the beginning of John's gospel John says this he says in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God Jesus tells these men the spirit will testify about me to you. And you must testify. That is to say, you must speak the word because you've been with me from the beginning. If Jesus was the word, then their job was to carry the word. To speak the things that they had heard Jesus speak. And as Jesus told them earlier in the evening and as we talked about in last week's lesson. The spirit was going to enable them to remember all the things that he'd said. Because they hadn't been taking notes. So they were going to get help in remembering. That was the purpose of the spirit coming to them was to enable them to remember all of the things they had heard 
in order that they would be able to repeat them and tell them to others. And so Jesus says, I have much more to say to you, more than you now can bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. In other words, there were things that I didn't have the opportunity yet to tell you that the Spirit is going to reveal to you. And you have to tell those things as well. He will not speak on his own. He will only speak what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. For all that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. In the second chapter of the book of Acts, we begin, we see the beginning of that work. We see the Spirit of truth coming to those apostles on Pentecost. And we see them begin to speak those things that the Spirit revealed to them. Both the things that Jesus had spoken in their presence in person and those things that he was sending to them by means of the Spirit, which he did not speak physically in their presence. That the purpose of the Spirit would be to guide them into all truth. That they would have access to everything that God wanted people to know in order that they could share it, which would be their, their bearing of fruit. They could look forward to that and know that that was coming. And then in conclusion, at the end of this conversation, here's what Jesus says to them. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. He had promised them peace before, earlier in the conversation. But now at the end of the conversation, he comes back to that theme. Because he wants to reinforce that message. That they are going to face a tsunami of difficulty. In the days and months and years ahead. But that if they trusted in him, they would be able to be at peace. Much trouble awaited them in the world. But Jesus says, take heart. I have overcome the world. And I want us to notice something that we perhaps don't always notice when we read those words. Notice the tense of that sentence. Jesus does not say, I am going to overcome the world. Because we might be thinking, well, of course... When he dies on the cross and is raised again, you know, that's, that's his victory. 
And yes, it is. But notice that Jesus doesn't say, I will overcome the world. I'm going to overcome the world. He says, I have overcome the world. His victory, though from their perspective, was yet still future. For him, it was already reality. For him, that victory was already in place, was already cemented, was already incontrovertible. I have overcome the world. And knowing that, he's saying, should give you peace. Knowing that, that I have won the victory, is your peace. So in the second half of the conversation, here's what Jesus wanted his apostles to know. He wanted them to know that they were branches of the true vine, that he was the vine, and they, in fact, were those branches. But he also wanted them to know that branches had a job to do. Branches must bear fruit or else be cast aside from the vine. He also wanted them to know that love required sacrifice. Love required the laying down of one's life. And the way that they were going to bear fruit as branches of the vine was by demonstrating love, by sacrificing themselves for others and for one another. He also wanted them to know that their job was to testify. They had been listening to the master teacher now for three plus years. Now they were going to have to go forth and be the teachers. They were going to have to carry the words that they had heard from him who was the word. And that they were going to get help to do that. He was going to send the spirit of truth to them that would enable them to know not only all of the things he had said to them, but all of the things that he hadn't yet said, but would say to them through the spirit. And he also wanted them to know, as he concluded the conversation, that he had overcome the world. That his victory was already accomplished. And that that knowledge should give them peace amidst all of the turmoil that they would face from that day forward. And he wants us to know those same things. Jesus wants us to know that we are branches of the true vine. And that as branches we have a job to do. And that is to bear fruit. And that if we are not bearing fruit, we are of no value to the vine. And will be cut off. That the bearing of fruit requires sacrifice on our part. That love requires the laying down of our lives. 
You and I may never be nailed to a cross. But when we see one another in need, we have to be willing to lay down our lives to supply that need as we can. To bear those burdens that others are carrying. To uplift, to uphold, to encourage, to support, to embrace, to do all of the things that love does. Because sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it requires us giving more than we want to give. And yet that's our job. That is our mission. To show love by giving of ourselves. Even as Jesus gave all for us. And that the only way we can bear fruit, which is our job as branches of the vine, is to demonstrate that kind of love. He wants us to know that we have to carry the word. We have to testify to the truth that is revealed by the word in the word. We have to be willing to share what we know with those who don't yet know it so that they can have the opportunity also to become branches of the vine. And he wants us to know in everything that happens to us in our lives that he has overcome the world and that his victory is our victory if we are in him. And as he told his disciples, he also tells us that we can only remain in him by doing the things he's told us to do. By carrying out the work. By carrying forth the mission. By doing the things that bear fruit. Jesus knew that this was his last night on earth to be able to talk with this group of men whom he loved so much. And the things that he said to them that night, he didn't say by accident. They weren't random thoughts. They were things that he had planned and purposed to say because if you knew that this conversation that you were having with someone you loved would be the last conversation you would have with them in this life. You would know what you wanted to say. And Jesus knew what he wanted to say and he said it. As we think about all of the things that we've talked about in this series of lessons from the beginning of the year till now, looking at Jesus as the master teacher. I hope that as you go forward, you'll continue to reflect on those words that Jesus spoke. You know, I knew at the beginning of the year that this lesson was coming. I didn't know exactly when it was coming, but I knew it was coming. This entire series has led up to this 
last set of conversations. And if I wanted to say anything to you, if this be the last opportunity that I had to speak with you, this would be what I would want to say. Listen to the teacher. Listen to the word. And let that word guide your life. That really is all, that, that's all there is. There are so many things about Jesus that we can focus on and so many things that we should. But John introduces him the way that he does for a reason. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. And as he says later in that same first chapter of his gospel, the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Take yourselves back over and over and over again to the words of Jesus. Listen to what he had to say. Note that he never said anything by accident. Find application for his words in your life. Be a branch that bears fruit. Show the kind of love that gives of itself. Even as he has given all for you. And know this that you can have peace amid all of the trial and tribulation and turmoil in your life and in this world because Jesus has overcome the world. I leave that with you as we stand and we sing the song that Nathaniel's chosen for.